We gather together to watch cheesy movies at Comedy Central on Thanksgiving Day at Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's 30 straight hours and it's called Turkey Day. Wow. The Incomparable, number 223. November 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we're here to talk about classic television series. We we did a tangent on a previous episode, like 15 minutes, where all we did was talk about this. But I, I thought it would be fitting to give it its full due and a full episode. And therefore, we're here to talk about Mystery Science Theater 3000, a show that you may remember from the dawn of time and if not uh it's on youtube and you can pretty much just go watch it there too if you like anyway joining me to talk about this excellent show from the past are the following steve lutz hello hi keep it jason <laughs> nice scott mcnulty i will kill you <laughs> andy Anatko. i kind of wish that you'd say andy Anatko, and i could just do like the rattle thing and ping pong ball school whatever Sure. The, the, Wise the cracker. <laughs> Pizza. David J. Lore. Push the button, Frank. And Philip Michaels. Analyst roll call. <laughs> I'd like to remind our audience, uh, if they could, where applicable, please turn down your lights. And keep spreading the tapes. Keep circulating the tapes. Well, that's for later. Yes. That's for the end. I don't know. Uh, something, something, Mr. Me Natural. I don't Anyway. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Mr. Science Theater for me, it's always going to be tied to college because that was, mm-hmm. uh, that was, uh, in that era was, it was a hit on Comedy Central and then I think just drifted away to Sci-Fi Channel toward the <laughs> end there. It was the hit on Comedy Central. It basically yeah. kept them afloat during their early years. It was programming, programming, programming. Like oh, It was oh, that oh, and oh. Alan Havey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was about to yeah. say that and, yeah. and the Alan Havey show. And the shortest attention span theater with that John Stewart kid. Whatever yeah. happened to him? I don't know. Yeah. Who's a hack? Isn't that amazing to think that there's a cable channel where your salvation is, oh, thank God, we found a way to fill two hours. Yeah. <laughs> we, Isn't that pretty much every cable channel? It was uh, originally aired on the comedy channel at the time. Once children, there were two mm. cable channels devoted yes. strictly to comedy. There was Ha. Mm. Uh-huh. And Which was guaranteed channel. to go down in flames, just given the name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they merged into one. And they called it Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. The house that puppets built. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I I uh, I have no idea where to go with this. Should we just put on a Should we just put on a bad movie and just talk over it? Should that be how the rest of this episode goes? Well, let's let's talk uh, let's talk recollections because I agree that uh, to me the reason that I adore MST three K so much is because it hit at I think the perfect time in my mm-hmm. life, which is obviously you know in the middle of college when there was a good chance that I would be. Uh, up and in some altered state of consciousness at midnight every night, uh, which was the greatest thing ever, by the way, the fact that they put uh, reruns of the show on every night at midnight. And it ran that way for several years. I think they ran through most of the third, fourth, fifth season that way. And it was just this nice, dependable, uh, soothing thing that was always on every night. You could uh, you could expect it to be there, whether you'd been studying for finals or doing something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and uh, it's just it it's it hits that sweet spot when you're in college of it's it's nice and irreverent, um, you know it doesn't doesn't seem to uh, care much for the uh, the old Hollywood kind of uh, you know the, this what some would call sacred uh, nature of some of these older films these older sci-fi films, um, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. When I for, when for, I first um, uh, heard about the show. And, and someone was describing it to me. I I thought it was a a, a stupid idea because I, I thought <laughs> no. I, I no, and th- right. this this is this is another um, uh, example in the don't listen to Phil about anything uh, uh, file. <laughs> Phil is not your your dowsing rod for for good ideas um, because uh, they mention it. Well, there's this they play this movie and um, the this guy and his robot puppets uh, talk over it. <laughs> And I said, but how can you hear the movie? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I actually, uh, you know, saw an episode and the scales fell from my eyes like a robot puppet <laughs> version of Saul on the road to Damascus. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it, it, like Steve says, it, it really, um, in a way, I, we should have all realized what a great idea it is because they, they are doing the things that, everyone does when they watch a terrible movie by themselves uh which is make fun of it and 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 say things out loud and try and crack up your friends and they just happen to be really funny uh uh people with with puppets i should say that i was a little reticent to check it out at first partially because i'd heard about the robot puppets which didn't really sound like my bag at the time no probably not (laughs) but also because i remember something turning up on late night tv uh several years previous which was i guess a comedy group called i want to say la connection oh yeah mad movies with the la connection right that's right they used to air on nick at night on uh on sundays yes yeah, and so I remember I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, that was that was some pretty funny stuff. And these guys are just ripping them off, uh, which you know, to some extent, maybe they were. I don't know. It's not it's not such a genius idea that not one person or multiple people couldn't possibly have come up with it at the same time. But it did kind of keep me away initially. And uh, I think it was I believe it was Monty originally that told me about the show, and I, I don't think I ever checked it out for maybe a year or two after he had mentioned That's it. how much credibility Monty had with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Monty, Monty almost like um, strapped me down in one of those uh, clockwork orange chairs to, to make me watch it. But that's, that's, really, that's really like a shared experience, isn't it? Because you got to also remember that back then, that was before everybody had cable TV. If you had cable, maybe your system did not have Comedy Central. And so for me, my introduction to Mystery Science 33,000 was either, I can't remember exactly, it was either literally circulating the tapes, friends of mine saying, oh, got, you got to try this and get, being handed like a couple of VHS cassettes, or uh, bot bashes, where in, in New England, there was every few months there would be some sort of collection that would go around to say we can rent a VFW hall for this amount of money. We know somebody who has a projector and we can basically have a viewing party with about two, three, four, five dozen people. And just on the basis that you've heard that this is on some Usenet news group, that this is a really good show that you really need to see it. 
and that you might have heard of maybe somebody who is in another computer club that you're in who's also going. You wind up spending three or four hours in this VFW hall somewhere in suburban Boston, you know, and, and mm. laughing your butt off, not, not only because of what, what's there, but because you are with a group of 40 to 50 to 60 people who also are primed for this sort of for this sort of show and who are getting at least 40% of the same references. And that's one of the things that really hooked me on it. I think I, I was introduced to it in the best way possible. To uh, I think it was prob- it might have actually been my first introduction to what you might call organized science fiction fandom. And yes, and in fact, the um, the cable channel that um, my parents' cable system when I went home that summer to watch uh, MST3K on on the newly formed Comedy Central. Comedy Central only ran from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. and the rest oh, yeah. of the time it was CNBC. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> wow. There's a dichotomy. When I discovered it, it was just after the merger, and our system did not have Comedy Central. And so what they were doing, like, for the whole summer, they would do a sample of different channels, one a weekend for, like, ten weeks, and then you got to choose which channels you wanted. So one weekend it was Comedy Central. And I I had heard about the show at some point because I recognized, oh, guy with puppets and movie (laughs) – and so I just I they happened to run I think it was Cave Dwellers on the Saturday afternoon of the weekend. Can I first episode. I'll try this out? And I I mean I think it was maybe ten minutes in and I just went, I'm not going anywhere for two more <laughs> And the movie is pronounced Cave Dwellers. <laughs> <laughs> and and so yeah, about a month later, boom, we had Comedy Central and mm. the first one that was on it, it started on a monday so the first thing i saw was time of the apes at midnight that night uh, another good one. Oh, that's and so from good. that point on you know and and it stinks it sort of like, it <laughs> there was something about mystery that's pot people but sorry i don't care yeah, <laughs> that's there i got it i got it i don't care magic things. i had to get to the second one for it i don't care right. trumpy no i don't care um <laughs> and but jason you, know, you can like, do magic things I don't care. I, I was already <laughs> writing comedy at that point, and they just did something to my brain where it was like I discovered this whole second gear that you could go into, mm. and, and you know you could wrap references inside references inside references, and between them and PDQ Bach, yeah. In retrospect, it's kind of unbelievable that I didn't catch on to it sooner than I did, and I, I guess I have to blame the fact that we didn't have easy access to cable for a long time. Because confession time, I probably went to Rocky Horror Picture Show 30 times in high school (laughs) over the course of my high school career. And uh, the quips on that aren't particularly good, but, uh, you know, it's the same basic. Yeah, it's the same school of um, of talking talking back. Well, I think we didn't have, I don't think we even had cable on campus. I wasn't until I got my off-campus apartment that we had cable. And we had the the 6 a.m., 6 p.m., whatever it was, uh, CNBC thing too. So when I, I, I remember because I recorded the Turkey Day Marathon and I only got oh, yeah. 12 hours of it. I think you're right. I think I remember being oh, being man. irritated when... Uh, CNBC years... on Thanksgiving Day. No one is watching CNBC. <laughs> <laughs> Some Let's years recap where the market uh, closed off. Let's oh. not. Towards... I still have all my tapes. Of, of Turkey Day marathons. Dur- during one of my senior years, they actually turned on cable in the apartments on campus, and I was oh. so pissed off. You're right, we didn't. So no. so for the first two years uh, while I was on campus, we didn't have cable. It was You're right, it was when I got off campus that we uh, 
I still have a somewhere in in probably not ten feet away from me in a box. I have uh, a VHS tape that literally was one of those eight hour VHS tapes oh, yeah. that yeah. I just pressed yeah. record on the Turkey Day Marathon and the whole thing just ran for all eight hours and it grabbed four MST3K episodes. Absolutely, I, I have one tape that is literally Manos, the Sinbad movie, the Day the Earth Froze, and oh, what's the fourth one? But it, I mean, it's a great. You know, you just sit down and I can't remember which year that was. I remember one thanks one family Thanksgiving where I had to be the defender of the VCR because it was like all, the entire family was like home from Thanksgiving, and I, there are all kinds of people in that house who did not how to know how to work like the the the, the complicated switching mechanism that I'd set up at my parents' house <laughs> to, to to allow a cable box, a VCR, and something else to access the TV at the same time. And I just remember like having to dash from the table really, really quickly because my grandfather <laughs> or somebody or some uncle had like shuffled, like sort of was like heaved his belly away from the table, decided to check out football, and just having to. Stand there by the door to make sure that, look, if all he does is messes with the cable box, it's fine because I've got it set up on a separate circuit. But if he tries to, like, fix something, i got to stop him. And I, if I have to throw myself bodily in front of this to stop Turkey, <laughs> Turkey Day from being interrupted, because honest to God, the only reason why I'm there having Thanksgiving with my parents is because I know that I can record Turkey Day and relive it later on. If, if it were between the two, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Uncle mm-hmm. Festus. I would have to go see Turkey Day instead. They did a uh, live stream of some classic episodes last Thanksgiving for uh, with Joel. Uh, to promote some of their the video releases, I believe, and uh, we had that on. I, I actually put that up on the TV for a while on Thanksgiving morning, and uh, my that that was the first exposure my uh, kids and my in laws and my mother had ever had to it, and everybody oh, laughed. Wow. Everybody yeah. enjoyed it. Actually, they're like, "What is this? This is very strange." And then they laughed at the jokes. And did your kids actually get a kick out of it? Because oh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've aired it for my daughter, the eleven-year-old, and she thinks it's the stupidest thing she's ever seen. <laughs> now, my so so my kids thought it was funny. I think some aspect of it was literally it's funny that they're talking back to a movie. Right. But my daughter just mm. just to, the, today when I was watching um, before we started this, when I was just having dinner and watching, I accused my parents. She 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 stopped me and said oh you know i thought maybe maybe my friends and i should do that because because we think of all sorts of funny things to say and i'm like yeah it's not that i'm thinking to myself yeah it's not that easy kid but i but i'm nodding and being like yeah it's exactly right everybody wants to talk back to the screen when they're watching something especially if it's dumb so i I, they got something out of it yeah mine are hooked totally that, that's, that's another indication of how brilliant they were. Whether this is a knowing thing that they were doing to, to foster community. This idea, What I love about this, the, I remember specifically one year in which it's a, it's a series of these movies, but all the interstitials uh, be, uh, before all the commercials are brand new stuff with uh, uh, TV's Frank and Dr. Forrester. And you're actually, because you're actually going through exactly what the, they're going through what you're going through over an entire Thanksgiving where Frank, uh, that uh, TV's Frank is coming back to the coming back to Deep Thirteen with all the fix from the store from all this fixing for Thanksgiving and he's keeping an eye on the turkey and he's you know he's locking up the house because now it's two a.m. and so he's he's done the he's done the last check on the bird and now he's trying to get uh, and then the guests keep coming by every two hours and then there's the last guest to leave because that's what you're you're dunking in and you you see that you have friends who are going through the exact same thing on Thanksgiving as you are and probably having just as bad a time as you are as well. 
boy, that they, they had such a great way of fostering a connection mm-hmm. between its fans and the show. Mm-hmm. I want to get Scott McNulty, who's been silent more or less, in, into this. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about your kind of uh, relationship with MST3K? Uh, it's platonic. Is you, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I heard <laughs> from, from Mr. B Natural. Oh, dear. Don't trust that guy. Uh, I, uh, when I was growing up, we had no cable at my house. Uh, so no, I didn't either. I know. Uh, I am uh, apparently the youngest person on this podcast, probably. Uh, yep. And uh, so cable was plentiful uh, in the world at that time. <laughs> but yet uh, my parents eschewed it. Uh, so we had no cable. Uh, well, we did have That's cable, but I broke the like cable. Oh, that, yeah. It's true. <laughs> I broke the cable box and then my parents canceled cable. We never got cable again. It was very sad. Um, but so I went off to college and I was very excited because I had cable in my dorm room. Uh, so uh, I was watching, I was obsessed with the game show network, which has nothing to do with this. But then my room, my uh, friend across the hall introduced me to Mystery Science Theater. Uh, and then I started watching that obsessively. Uh, and he also introduced me to the um, non-Mystery Science Theater, Mystery Science Theater of Star Trek V, uh, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, which is uh, related to Mystery Science Theater, but not by the Mystery Science Theater people. All right, good, good, uh, good re- re- relationship recollection there, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> you are younger than us. That's so. It's fine if you never say anything on this episode again because you, you're making you're making us all sick <laughs> with my youth with and your, exuberance. Your youth and your yammering. Keyboard. In my Get day, my cable ball. was plentiful. <laughs> John Stewart just hosted to introduce clips of stand-up comedians, and that's all there he did. A, there was a way of watching television and having phone calls so that nobody knew what your interests were, except for yourself. So let's talk about the premise, because I think the premise is kind of brilliant. Now, Joel Hodgson, I actually remember Joel Hodgson from his uh, spots on Saturday Night Live. He did oh, a lot yeah. of Letterman appearances too. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Doing, and he's a he prop a comic. magic comedian. He's a yeah. well, yeah. I mean, I would say he's he's a he he's the um, he's the flip side of Gallagher. <laughs> you know, uh, the, he's, he's more of the carrot top that you don't want to murder and leave in a ditch. You know, there's a carrot top yes. joke in "I Accuse My Parents," which made me laugh extra hard because I know <laughs> that there must be a connection between him and uh, Joel Hodgson. Actually, true story, during an appearance that he shared with Gallagher, he came off stage to find Gallagher rummaging through his props, and he never never liked him <laughs> I, from that point on. Oh, why am I not surprised? I've, I've heard that story. He's also buddies with, uh, the, he came up at the same time as Jerry Seinfeld, because if you, I, there's a really early Jerry Seinfeld uh, concert video, and it has some interstitials, and Joel Hodgson is in it as like the, the gatekeeper for the Emerald City of Oz that Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. is visiting, it's... It was a he did it. He did a comedians and cowards getting coffee with him too. Yeah. So I remember uh, his uh, Agent J bit where he Agent converts J. converts the boombox into various things. But that was his building gadgets was his thing. So so the story goes as far as I know, and I, I only know um, I've only read some things. There's probably somebody Monty has probably read it all, and he's not even on this episode because I know a few things. He didn't want to be so. I assume that that uh, as this all coalesced in Minnesota, that uh, you know, obviously one of the premises in the show with the invention exchange and the fact that there are these robots and there all all this other stuff is taking advantage of the fact that Joel Hodgson was drawn to gadgets and making weird contraptions and that because that that is at the at the core of everything outside of the movie scenes of mst3k is this uh, especially the 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 joel hodgson years there's there's uh you know wacky bits but there's a lot of prop comedy it's a it's like props are 
part of the, the DNA of the show. Well, that's that's why you get the invention exchange, and then very shortly after he left the show, they they, they put the kibosh on that segment. Yeah. Yes, deep sixed it as it were. Mm. But yeah, Gizmonix actually comes from I think some of his earlier uh, some of his earlier material, Gizmonix yeah. Institute. Yeah. Right, and they shot all this in like a barn in Minnesota, right? <laughs> yeah, and that, if if you got if you got the if you were member of the fan club, you remember they had those tapes of behind the scenes of them actually building all of these sets. And so you see you know, all these all these people who are in front of the camera, behind the camera, actually just assembling sets and detail and gluing all these toys before spray painting them like matte matte gray. And that's I think that's something that you kind of appreciate about it that it it the whole thing does have this handmade feel about it where you you feel as though the catering budget for this show was negligible at best. Mm. Because every free time and every extra dime that they had available was a way to figure out how to make this show look ten times better than they than their budget and their resources could afford. I was I've been working that even before I knew that the show was coming up. I was uh, I've now I've, I've got a good like long YouTube playlist of MSG three thousand episodes. So I've been watching a lot of them over the past like two or three months, and I'm amazed at how good those sets are and how good those props are and how nicely it's lit and how nicely it's shot. There's almost no complaints to be made about how this show was put together. Uh, and then, again, when you look at these behind-the-scenes stuff, when you realize that this was just a group of people that decided that they're going to improv a set together, uh, it just seems miraculous. Yeah, the story basically goes that uh, Hodgson soured very, very early on with being out in L.A. and trying to break into comedy out there. And he was actually doing very well, but he was uh, – I think they tried to put him into a a series that uh, he thought was not funny. I, I think he, he was he was, he was offered the usual series of, like, next-door neighbor roles, and he thought that this is not where I want to be in my, my, my creative life. He was offered a pretty a pretty decent part in in something that was, I think it was like a Fast Times ripoff, Fast Times at Ridgemont High ripoff, and uh, he turned him down and said it wasn't funny. And rather than come back to him and say, "Well, let's see how we can fix this," they came back and said, "Well, we'll give you more money." Yeah. And that apparently offended his delicate Midwestern sensibilities. And not long <laughs> after that, he went back to to Minnesota um, to seek his fortune. Right. Well, no, he, he he did a few other things, and I guess he decided after a while that he had to get back into comedy because it was something that was just in his blood. And uh, he rented out a, a warehouse in Minneapolis that happened to be next door to where Jim Mallon worked. And uh, this warehouse was where he built his props, basically. And that's, that's where he met Jim Mallon. And uh, shortly after that, I guess Jim Mallon uh, got a job at this, uh, I guess, the lowest-rated... UHF station in the Minneapolis area, which was a KTMA. And uh, while he was working there, they asked him to fill a couple hours of, uh, of airtime um, during, yeah, I don't know, some very <laughs> unglamorous time slot or other. And he immediately thought of Joel Hodgson, who he'd met and, and hit it off with. And uh, that's when they put together the initial stages mystery science theater that's the second time that we've referred to mystery science theory 3000 as like the styrofoam packing peanuts in a programming schedule saying we've got this we don't want we don't want wheel of fortune to rattle around if there's two out two hours of dead air so let's fill it with something well that was how local yeah. tv was in those days you would take um right. you would take really cheap to uh public publicly available movies and you would air them whenever you had a 2 hour hole in the schedule and maybe you you'd film some uh some interstitials with like the uh 
the the station's uh, resident ham would put on like a, a cape and pretend to be yeah. uh, <laughs> right. uh, Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. Count Floyd. Right. Features, You'd have yeah. Count Floyd. You had Elvira in L.A. You had Sven in Chicago. Down in Florida, we had Doctor Paul Bearer. See, see these these yeah. days they just do infomercials, but back then that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, that's partly why it was a genius, because they already had this library of crappy public domain movies they were sitting on. Exactly. And so rather than air those by themselves, they had a guy and some puppets talk over it. Also, I I think it's not a coincidence. We're talking about uh, programs. I mean, this is a two-hour long show, right? It would never air anywhere that was not desperate to fill time. (laughs) It is like, that is, they go together. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's why, that's why... The uh, the show lasted as long as it did, I think, is because they had this time. <clears throat> you know, a fledgling comedy network has to fill the time mm-hmm. with something, and uh, to be able to 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 block off two hours every week. And, and you that know, that midnight slot, Steve, that you were talking about. I mean, that that is the same strategy that leads to something like Adult Swim. It's like literally um, just put this on in the middle of the night, and you know who, who's going to watch it? Well, college kids. Well, I think they had a, a more standard time slot, but then they started airing the reruns. And sure, the but then you run, you, you run it and you get to fill extra time and run extra commercials and run it in the middle of the night and actually have a chance that some people who've you know gotten their third meal at Taco Bell are going to sit down and, uh, <laughs> and watch it. Right. And, and that's, and that's, I mean, instead of two hours, you're filling 12 hours a week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or exactly. if you're running it, they ran it in the mornings too for a while. Mm-hmm. So, well, in fact, I think, I think they premiered it in the mornings and then ran it again in the evenings. So, mm-hmm. well, and it's it's such a great idea because that 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 appeal to the you know the college set, I, I think having the show on at midnight every night that's that's genius if you want to get that set mm-hmm. to to pay attention. Well, my friends and I in high school we watched bad movies and made fun of them. Like we did that. We watched. In fact, we watched. I think every John Carradine movie we could find, uh, only one yes. of which ever made it to MST3K, which was The Unearthly. Time for go to bed. Yeah, there's a surprising lack of Carradines in the MST3K pantheon. I, let me tell you, I, I mean, they missed they missed Frankenstein Island. They mi- missed uh, Satan's Cheerleaders. Uh, they missed <laughs> How the Star- do you miss Satan's Cheerleaders. Uh, they missed Star, uh, Star Slammer. Um, they are they are some fine. I own Satan's Cheerleaders on VHS. I've got that. Well, somewhere. but again, they could only they could only riff on what they could get the rights to. Exactly. Or what was already in the public right. domain. So you know, somebody was holding on tightly to that license to Satan's Cheerleaders. Right. By, by the way, um, uh, Frankenstein Island, which was all, which was our favorite, and it is my favorite bad movie of all time, did finally get the MST3K treatment. It is a video on demand download from from Riff Tracks, so you can. And it tickled me to no to no end to finally hear the voices of MST3K make fun of what I think is the the worst movie ever made. So it was a it's a thing of beauty. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by the good people at lynda.com. You've heard me tell you about lynda.com before. Let me recap this for you. If you want to learn something, if you're an advanced user who wants to learn a particular skill that is tricky and you don't have the hang of it, lynda.com can help you. If you're a beginner who's just starting out and wants to learn a piece of software uh, or even a particular skill, lynda.com has videos to help you out. So all skill levels and the people teaching you in these videos are the experts. These are people who are recognized industry experts. Sometimes they're people from the companies that make the software. And when I talk about these videos, this video training, these are high quality videos in Linda's state-of-the-art video studio. These are not blurry YouTube videos shot in somebody's basement. They're clear. They're high quality. They've got the experts. This is a great way to learn new skills or to tune up some of your existing 
existing skills. Now, there's one low monthly price for lynda.com. You pay $25 a month and you have access to the entire library. You can take as many courses as you want. There are more than 100,000 different video tutorials. And if you join the premium plan, you can download courses to your iPhone or iPad and watch them offline. Now, for any software you rely on, lynda.com can help you stay current with all of the software updates. Oftentimes, new versions are posted. They work with the software companies, and they have training on the new features and new versions posted, often the same day or the same week that the new version comes out. It's pretty amazing. And if you name the the subject, you can probably find a lynda.com course about it. I've used it to learn about logic. There's stuff up there about iOS and Mac, about Microsoft Office, about the Adobe Creative Suite. If you can think of it, there's probably a lynda.com course to start you off and also to tweak your skills when you're an advanced user. And the best news about this is you can try it out for free. I've worked out a deal with lynda.com to provide you with special access to lynda.com free for 10 days. So you can open up your brain and learn as much as humanly possible. I recommend taking a vacation for 10 days and learning everything you can from lynda.com as a part of this. Anyway, you need to visit lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash incomparable to try it free for 10 days. Access to all the courses. You can learn a whole lot in 10 days. And once you try it out, you're going to say to yourself, I want to keep Lynda around. I want to keep lynda.com in my life and learn more as I go. So thank you so much to the people at lynda.com for supporting The Incomparable. They have an interesting challenge uh, with picking the movies, I think, because they need – obviously, there are plenty of bad movies out there. Uh, but they need a movie that is, isn't is so bad that you don't want to watch it. Um, well, other than like Menos, Hands of Fate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's actually a good number th- of those. Things, things, have, things have to happen during the movie. Yeah, exactly. And they yeah. need to be able to interject and it's still – so it's, it's an interesting challenge that they had. Uh, and plus, as they got more popular, uh, getting the, li- the rights to the movies became more and more right. of a hassle. Right. Also, they, they did cut them down. So that, that was an interesting point that I would always notice is you just need enough action and enough things to make fun of to kind of, kind of do it. But some movies were unwatchable. But when they would finally find them, if you actually did try to follow the plot, you would realize that they would often take like giant chunks of the movie. <laughs> and you're like in, like in the commercial break, they'd come back and you'd be like, wait. What just happened? Just don't pay. It's don't even pay attention to the plot of this movie. But yeah, they, they, it is a, a strange art to find something where you can clear the rights that you can actually make jokes about, and that isn't going to make everybody wish for death while they're watching it. And, and ironically, and, when yeah. it came time to renew some of the licenses to these pictures, when they started, uh, you know, the reruns were still going strong, and, and some of them started dropping out of existence because the uh, the the, the, the rights holders suddenly this property was worth something mm. because MST had come in and 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 crapped all over the film and now it, the license was worth something because <laughs> people had heard of it. Isn't Manos Hands of Fate now like a super cult movie? But that really is owed to MST3K almost entirely. It would be now. entirely owed yeah. to MST3K. Yeah, I can't imagine people watching that willingly. <laughs> no, but now now it's like its own. Its own thing. It's like people talk about that movie as as itself, but the MST3K is the reason that movie is known by anybody. Yeah, I think the Entertainment think... Weekly did a story on Manos's. Uh... It, it <laughs> well, is a fantastic story. Yeah, it's been it's the uh, the film interpositive has been discovered, and so now if actually if, even if even if you go on the RiffTracks.com website, you can buy like the H in HD the mm. remastered restored Manos, so that it's still a crappy movie, but at <laughs> least it looks like a good sixteen millimeter like pristine print. I've always wondered. I've always wondered, though, that like 
I, I imagine like these uh, a lot of people all over the country and now in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they've had good lives, they've raised families, they have the respect of their of of, of their communities. Maybe they've even been like active and volunteering in the community and they thought, well, the only thing that could possibly embarrass me is that stupid movie I made in 1963 mm. that but fortunately, <laughs> like it got it, it, it got on a, it was on a drive in three times then disappeared. Thank God no one will find that again. And now people are laughing at you and pointing at you at the at the Walmart because because you are Mono's, you are you are Mono's hands of fate. <laughs> yeah. Now it's in the National Film Registry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Torgo took the easy way out. <laughs> oh my! People are cosplaying as me. What's cosplay? <laughs> and how do I make them stop? My my favorite bad movie that I knew before Mystery Science Theater was a film I saw somewhere in the mid '80s called Women of the Prehistoric Planet. With like Wendell Corey and Stuart oh, Margo. Oh, that's the Haikiba episode. And that's the Haikiba episode. I've never seen it because that was one of the KTMA episodes, and they never released those. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a season one episode. Women of the Prehistoric Planet is uh, episode one hundred four. Really? Because see, I've never seen it mm. anywhere. Have you so, ever wished that maybe they would remaster those? Because the season one episodes, you could de- you could tell that they were just riffing as they went. This might have been the first time they saw those movies. They didn't have the polish of like a season three or a season four. Well, there was some some I guess some issues with that. I, that's that's partly why Josh Weinstein Weinstein Wein something or other mm. uh, left the show because uh, they actually first season they started uh, having scripted episodes, uh, whereas KTMA was entirely off the cuff, and uh, he was. He was much in the camp of, I'd much rather do off-the-cuff riffs because mm. he was actually really good at that. He was probably the best of the group at just coming up with stuff as they watched. Um, and so that was partly the reason why he took off after the end of first season, to the chagrin of not very many people. But um... <laughs> Right. I, for, I can't believe I didn't mention Vampire Man of the Lost Planet, also known as Horror of the Blood Monsters, also starring John oh. Carradine. And Phil has seen at least a little bit of this. This is a really good one. It's literally, as several of the MST3K movies are, it's literally stock footage or footage from, I think, a Mexican horror movie in black and white. And then they shot some interlinking scenes as if they were receiving transmissions from the planet and and they even had a little thing where they talked about how it was being bathed in chromatic radiation and all that meant was that when they would cut back they would put a different filter over the black and white footage so sometimes it would be blue and sometimes it would be red and sometimes it would be green but it made no sense and and so there was a sci-fi plot with this like a vampire plot uh super it's it's really delightful and john carradine of course was happy to sign up to be in some of those framing sequences, because that guy would be in anything and was. <laughs> you you read you, you actually I, I read about him because of his all of his that appearance on Mystery Science three thirty three thousand, and you read about him and he's just one of those actors who feels as though the job of an actor is to keep acting. Mm-hmm. That even if you're in a horrible movie, you don't get to act when you're just alone with a script and just like reading to your to the houseplants. If you're in, if you're in front of an audience and playing in front of other actors, you are practicing your craft and. That is a noble thing to do, and I don't deny that he made those crap movies. But I, I kind of had a little bit more respect for him after that. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I read actually a lot of stuff about John Carradine. We, people know his sons, uh, Keith, yeah. Keith, and David. But John Carradine was a classically trained actor. Who, right. if you look at his IMDb page, it is amazing. The movies mm. that he was in are just amazing. Just wow. 
appreciating a bad movie is one thing, and that's one of the ways that this really works, is that I think a lot of the people who watched MST3K could appreciate something bad, would make fun of it. And then what you've got is this format, beyond the invention exchange and all of that, you've got a format where you have um, skilled comedy writers, essentially, spending a lot of time coming up with a lot of really good jokes to fill out uh, to fill out this movie that, well, you take, it's two hour running time, but you take the commercials out and it's like an hour because I, it felt like, God, there are so many commercials in MST3K sci-fi channel. But, um, <laughs> but it's it just, it, it's just an enormous amount of work. Now, uh, a, a few years ago, we did a, an incomparable riff that was what Steve, 10 minutes long. What's that? Phantom uh, Empire? Yeah. Yeah. How long was our riff? Ooh, I think it ran about 20. Oh, 20 right. minutes. Okay. That was, a, that was a lot of work and it gave me a, a, a real perspective on how much, uh, how much writing work goes into an MST3K because, you know, you, they're not making it up off, uh, off the cuff. They are watching that movie multiple times and, and throwing things out and they've got, uh, I think they had like writing assistants writing down a lot of the jokes as they, that was yeah. like one of the jobs was just, just furiously write all the jokes down as fast as you can with time code. And, uh, <laughs> And just uh, what a what a great idea to turn funny people, uh, a lot of really funny people, loose on something like that. Because we all enjoy making fun of these movies on on our own, but then you get these incredibly talented people in a room together and have them riffing off of each other, and it becomes something altogether different. That's how it builds, and how you get those references within references. Because you know, I might say something funny, and then you're going to say something funny, and then it pings back and forth, and you can create this whole little palace of jokes. Magical. I wish I still had the email. Maybe I do somewhere, but I don't remember where it was at. But uh, when I did a little bit of work briefly for Rift Tracks, when they were considering the idea of taking submissions from outside writers, um, I got an email from Bill Corbett basically saying, this is kind of how we want you to, this is, this is the format we want you to use. Um, and this is approximately how long you should expect to work on each, you know, each minute. And it was some ridiculous thing like, two hours per minute or something. <laughs> thought, I don't have it. I don't think I have it anymore, but, uh, but it was a pretty interesting email because it, it kind of went over the, the writing process as it stands now, which is uh, mm. considerably different than sitting around in a writer's room with, you know, five or six people just calling right. out riffs as they did in the MST3K days. Now it's more like they sit down and they watch the movie over and over mm. and over and over again. <laughs> Well, when we did when we did that that Phantom Empire riff, um, I did get a handful of us in a room to watch it, and we I recorded that, and I sort of transcribed the jokes and time coded them, and we ended up with like a spreadsheet mm -hmm. with time code where we put in all the possible jokes and then boiled those down and then worked those into. Uh, something tighter. I know, Steve, you worked on a lot of that, and, and yeah. I, I worked on that with you, and that was a lot of work. And then we recorded all of it, and then half those jokes had to come out because they didn't fit anyway. That's the painful part. <laughs> you, you sit, and, and the other painful part is there are frequently parts of the movie where you've got five great lines for, and there are other parts where you've got nothing, a minute and a half, <laughs> and you cannot think of a damn thing to say. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and it, I mean you can you can identify those moments sometimes when you watch episodes. I was watching some some late uh, era episodes a week mm -hmm. or so ago, and uh, it, it's interesting as the writing staff changes, the kind of approach that they take changes. And I think in a lot of the late uh, the late episodes in seasons eight and above, the sci fi episodes, the the writing staff would more frequently just say, 
uh, well, we got to put something in here. So they just throw out some line. Or you, but, or you get a running gag where they'd refer to something that was in the in the uh, episode or something else, and it had nothing to do with what was on screen. Right. And there's yeah. an increasing number of lines where you know there's some just completely. They they pick some random character out of pop culture, some guy who some some character in the movie looks very vaguely like. You know, it's a stretch. Yeah. And they go, oh, uh, you know, John Carradine, and and that's the joke. And and you can you can tell that that minute and a half or whatever the movie was just so painful to write for that that was the best they could come up with. I, I was pleased to read interviews with them later on, and there was when they after the, the whole ball game was over, and they started talking about the problems that they were having with the Sci Fi Channel about how mm-hmm. they had just almost zero latitude in the movies that they got to choose because they were presented with so few options. They just had to make everything work. And the old stories about the, the Comedy Central days where they might spend a lot of time figuring that this is exactly the sort of movie that would work great for us. But then after working on this for five days, they realized that there just isn't enough here to riff on and just abandoning it and choosing something better. That I, I I had a lot, I had a lot more sympathy for them. I I, I did lose like <laughs> like 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 Moses on the Rock. I too lost my faith in Radar that day. Uh, there <laughs> you know after the uh, Merlin's House of Wonders, where I was watching it, I'm ex- I'm excited about it because it's another episode of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's not really that okay. Mm. I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the fact that I see the shadows, but I don't really. That's not really a lot of fun. And yeah, it's it's just such a hard thing to to be, you have to find the right show in order to make this work. The shorts, I think, mm. are some of the most brilliant stuff because I think that yes. there the the editing of a short when you only have eight to ten minutes to do to deliver something, you don't have time to do eight minutes of rock climbing. You have to have things happen, 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 happen. And yeah. there's such a crazy and because you get a lot of crazy people who are just trying to crank out an eight minute filler subject on whatever. It's such great crazy fuel for for riffing on the shorts were the best part of that show yeah i agree often yeah i mean the the junior rodeo is still one of my favorites i don't think a week has gone by that we haven't done and the crowd goes wild yay at some smothered in gravy texas style (laughs) they're doing it clown style yeah that's another unfortunate (laughs) way in which the the day at the circus yes (laughs) one of my favorite dirty jokes was in a short was was in a short. It was the uh, winter sports one where the announcer keeps calling Skeen Sheen, and uh, yes. and Crow T Robot says you're full of skit. <laughs> <laughs> was that that's the one with uh, she whoring as well? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time is had by all. That's a very early episode. Yeah, that's another way in which the sci-fi era kind of suffered because they were given that that ultimatum initially that uh, they had to stick to sci-fi shows only. And that pretty yeah. much eliminated any possibility of doing shorts, which right. they, they, they lifted that uh, restriction, I think, midway through season eight. They kind of eased up on it a little bit. And they, they were able to kind of go back to some more. Uh, yeah, you, you, you guys keep talking about the Sci-Fi Channel episodes like that's something that happened. Like, <laughs> There are some yeah. good episodes in the Sci-Fi season. Mm, what? I enjoy Brain Guy. I, Brain Guy and Professor Bobo were, were nice additions. Yes, and and Pearl really came onto her own. I, I prefer mm. the the interstitial stuff to the the films by the end of the sci-fi. Era. I agree. Yeah. Except the the only one the only one that I really love is when when the writing was on the wall and they said, "Okay, you're done," and apparently they said, "We want to do one thing that's just for ourselves as long as we're still here, not a sci-fi movie." What they did was 
They did uh, Maximilian Schell's German edition of Hamlet. Uh, so you're the one guy <laughs> that likes the Hamlet episode. Uh, uh, I'm the one guy that likes the Hamlet episode. Be- well, because it's it's not that it's translated from the Shakespeare. It's that it was translated into German and then translated back into English, <laughs> which is nuts. So even without them, it's it's wonderful to listen to because it's insane. But yeah, aside from that, I just, I don't know. The, the sci-fi uh, episodes. I think there are a lot of good episodes in sci-fi. They were, they're, the riffing was still strong. I'm not mm. a fan of the interstitials at all in in that set of mm. episodes, but there's some good stuff in there. TV's Frank is missed. Yeah, because, Frank Conniff uh, was a was a was an unsung yeah. uh, part of that show's greatness. You know, it's funny, and it's not just in the uh, not just in the the Deep Thirteen segments where where he and Trace Beaulieu are missed. I think the writing really starts to suffer right around the time those two drop off. Yeah, you don't you don't realize what kind of contribution each of them has to the writing staff until they start to disappear, and then suddenly the episodes take a turn. You know. <laughs> But let's but let's not let's not move let's not move so quickly away from that. What a wonderful comedic duo those two those two guys oh, were. Yeah. Where oh, the, such a complicated relationship, where it was definitely an abuser abused relationship, but there was a, a sort of affection there because without just 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 as like when 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 Frank went away and and, uh, and uh, Dr. Forrester sings this wonderful song about well now that I don't have somebody to abuse who do I kill. <laughs> and that was the song. That was the song of how sad he was and how I missed Frank because oh, I I need somebody to abuse and, and threaten. There's nobody here. That was a moving episode when Frank got uh, when he ascended to second banana heaven. <laughs> it yeah. really was kind of sad. Now I find I must take my own bitter pill. <laughs> who who will I kill? <laughs> Something that MST3K did. Um, pretty well was deal with these cast transitions and 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 move and, and with the with the robots they just changed the voices and with the um and, and honestly going from Joel to Mike uh was less disruptive than you might think mostly because Mike Nelson had been there all along and was the head writer and just sort of slid on in there and I I don't you know it was a different it's a different guy but I I never had any uh, uh problems it wasn't like oh well when joel left then the whole thing went to right. hell right well I don't like think that's like the case. like steve pointed out they tailored the show to to mike nelson's mm-hmm. talents and they they got rid of the things that were very clearly things that joel hodgson was good at and 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 built around the stuff that that mike did very well like the singing and the 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 the, the riffing and whatnot right well, they also, I think, made a very smart move, albeit a, a, an unusual one, of changing the hosts in the right in the middle of the season. Oh, yeah. Smack in the middle of season five was where they did the transition. So there wasn't this big gap, and then suddenly the new guy was Mitchell! there. Mitchell! Mitchell! <laughs> I will always remember Joel Hodgson's last episode, because not only was it Mitchell, which is one of their the, the great oh, man. MST3K Wait, movies. is that baby oil? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Ah! Oh, God. Mitchell. Mitchell. Even his name sounds like, is that a beer? <laughs> <laughs> but it was also it it was also game six of the two of, of the 1993 World Series when Joe Carter hit the um, the series mm-hmm. winning home run, and that was the same night. Same night as Mitchell. Yeah, I was flipping back and forth. Wow. Yeah. But but the, Joe you know, Don Baker and but, Joe Carter intertwined <laughs> in my mind. But they were, they were they had just run that Mitchell episode like eight more times that week. But yeah, well, but it was a moment. But it was a moment. It was. It was. Um, we should talk a little bit about favorites. We've mentioned some stuff, but we should we should mention some favorite episodes. That way, also the listeners have some things to go find if they've not seen 
uh, some of these episodes of, of MST3K. So I thought I would just go around, and if you could throw out some of your favorites, um, I'm sh- I know you've got them. Steve, I have. To, uh, why oh, no, go ahead, Andy. I just, I just have to secret agent, super dragon. I don't think that's uh, – maybe there's, there are others that are as good, but I don't think that's ever been topped. Secret agents? Is that uh... – that, that's that's the one where it takes place in in Holland, and there's the uh, and he, he's a he's a retired secret agent that has to stop some a magical mind control gum that's being <laughs> distributed by the these the the horrible organization, uh the, the the and the supers the the evil organization is hidden behind a front of an antique <laughs> of an antique auction house. Uh, with a a society of of masked people whose sign is it, they they start their meetings by each coming up with a piece of pieces piece piece of, of of plastic and making the sign of a W with it. It was just good. It was the the it was not a terrible movie. It was just a mediocre movie, and that's exactly right in the sweet spot of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. So many great little lines, little gadgets they can make fun of. Uh, it, weird characters that have stuff to do. Uh, I still, I still remember every, every single time that it, it, hidden inside, like the office of the of the uh, of the of the antique auction house is, of course, the, the the secret phone is like a hidden inside the pen, and so the and so the the pen has to flash when they when they make secret contact. Like my pen is a phone, my desk is a chair. I'm nuts. <laughs> uh, the key the key description in the Wikipedia page for Secret Edition Super Dragon key phrase is filmed in Amsterdam but set in Michigan. <laughs> that's, a good, do. that's a good sign it's the michigan of europe yes scott do you have a favorite mst3k i will uh choose is this a draft it's not a draft <laughs> no <laughs> it's a draft. Uh, well i will say that i really like the the movie mst3k oh, yeah, yeah. the movie um oh. because a this island earth is not a bad movie uh, and B inspired the Coneheads. Yes, it, it, it was amazing to me that Mystery Science Theater could have a movie dedicated <laughs> to it, uh, and that just excited me so when it came out. Uh, and they really stepped up the production values for the movie. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I agree. I liked the movie a lot. I was happy that it came and and happy to see it. Uh, Phil, favorites of MST3K. Oh, where to begin? Um, it, it, it will shock you to learn that I'm not a huge fan of the the science fiction what uh, episodes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I the ones I really like are the um, are are the um, uh, Cold War movies like Rocket Attack USA is is a personal favorite. <laughs> wow. Although I I do um, uh, want to give uh, a shout out to one science fiction movie by the great Roger Corman, one of the greatest directors ever to to, to walk this earth. It conquered the earth, I believe. Mm. Oh yeah, it conquered the world. It conquered the world. Excuse me. That's the one that's uh, that is uh, paired with snow thrills, including she whoring. Yes, and uh, stars uh, uh, Peter Graves and. Um, and Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. Oh, the immortal man. Lee Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. There's actually good acting in that episode. That's the scary thing. Yeah, and um, uh, just because he's a local, uh, uh, Robert L. Lippert is the producer behind uh, Lost Continent, and he <laughs> owned the movie theater in the town I live in, and had many of his movie premieres there. So I'm, I'm imagining the citizenry of Alameda going to see the the premiere of Lost Continent. Without the benefit of puppet commentary and uh, saying, "Yeah, Robert, that was that was great." Things love that rock climbing. Yeah, yeah, really brought home the rock climbing. That was good stuff. 
David, favorites? Oh, man. I mean, I love Mitchell. I love... Mitchell! I love, I Mitchell. love the Gamera films. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Gamera is really Gamera, neat. Gamera, Gamera is full Gamera. of meat. Gamera is really neat. He yeah, is filled with turtle meat. We, we are eating Gamera. Gamera. <laughs> I knew there would be Michael singing. Michael Nelson as, uh, as Michael Feinstein singing the Gamera song. Oh, man. That's <laughs> my favorite. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't do a Michael Feinstein impression, but I can do that. Yeah, that's, um, that's great stuff. But, oh, man. And I love the... The uh, I think it's Godzilla versus the sea monster that has the the whole thing of Rex Dart Eskimo, Eskimo spy. spy. <laughs> I love that. And then uh, I mean, Time of the Apes and Mighty Jack. You can't find Mighty Jack anywhere. Um, gosh. I mean, oh, oh, and and Teenagers from Outer Space, which starts off with the the weird little flying saucer as it's landing through the whole credit sequence, and they just keep running down. You know, it's this, it's that, it's Bella Abzug's hat, it's an umbrella, it's Mary Poppins, it's this, <laughs> just continuously. And so, yeah, and it's Bella Abzug's hat is another one of those lines that we just use over and over again around here. Was it the same one that for I think Mary Jo when she when she wrote her entry into the Mystery Science Theory book, she mentioned the first joke she ever wrote was, "Oh, uh, 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 like Hepburn's hat from Breakfast at Tiffany's is coming in for a landing." Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be it. And she and she thought as the as the sort of joke that like a woman on the writing staff would come up with. <laughs> who who have I who have I not asked for favorites, Steve? Yeah, I was bumped and then ended up on the end of the list. I'm not sure how that happened. You just had to get you just you came back around. We wrapped back around to you. I feel like Thanks Matt Damon all of a sudden. Here. I was giving you time to prepare. Oh, well, good. I'm prepared now. Okay, okay I got a few. Um, uh, let's see. I'll start with Rocket Ship XM. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, a Robert L. Lippert movie. Oh which, man, which is the first one that I saw with a people with a of Alameda group. come to Rocket Ship XM. <laughs> That was, uh, I think that was the episode where they, they, well, it was 201, so they turned the corner from the first season with Josh Weinstein to the second season where Tom Servo was played by Kevin Murphy, and uh, mm-hmm. and TV's Frank makes his first appearance. Um, I think that's where, um, by this time, my lungs were aching for air, first <laughs> makes an appearance. Yeah. Uh, there's a sequence on what things are funny when they float in zero gravity and what <laughs> things are not, which is pretty good. <laughs> Um, it's just a great episode, and, and the reason that it sticks out for me mostly is because I think that was the first episode I saw with a group of people where I really appreciated how much when you've got a group of people and they each are laughing at different things that are funny to them, just how it kind of builds on itself and and, uh, <laughs> it, and just increases the intensity that much more. Um, in fact, I really recommend that if you have the opportunity to go see a Rift Tracks live show in the mm. theater... That is a, a, a wonderfully funny experience just because <clears throat> so many people are there and they're ready to laugh and uh, and it just it makes everything that much funnier. Yeah. Um, 506 Ega, which uh, ah, is... Watch for snakes. Which is Watch Out for Snakes, yes, which is uh, Richard Keel <laughs> as Unfrozen <laughs> Caveman. Um, it's, it's got this wonderfully, I don't know if it's 60s or 50s vibe to it, but it's, uh, I guess it's, it's 60s. It's like a... A very cheap beach blanket bingo thing going on, right? For a little bit of it, and yeah, uh, that's Arch a, that's Hall a great Jr. Episode. Arch Hall Jr. with his horrifying <laughs> <Roxy>. leering face. <laughs> yeah, that's that's with a great episode. Jalopy. It's got 
it's got songs, and I like the episodes where the, the main characters actually <laughs> sing songs and they can riff on those. That's, that's a particularly good one. Um, of the Gamera films, I think Gamera versus Giron is the one that sticks out for uh, me. Is that the one with the knife monster with the knife that's head? That's the one with the monster yep. that's the knife head. Yep. That's yep. the one that, that focuses on the two little boys, one of whom is Richard Burton. Um, <laughs> Does that have corn job in it? That's the one with corn job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's really the selling point for me is corn job. He's only in the movie for about 30 seconds, but he, he makes the film. Yeah. That's corn job. That's yes, they uh, they they end up on a spaceship and they travel to some planet that's on the opposite side of the sun where the aliens are uh strangely enough Japanese women in weird costumes. Um <laughs> so often happens. Yes, I mean there's an early sequence where corn job threatens to shave one of the boys' heads for acting up. And then uh, in, in, a, in a shocking... That's a, lo- that's a lovely phrase. Can, can we just have a pause here just to appreciate what a lovely phrase you just put, you just pulled out of the ether and put out for everyone to enjoy? <laughs> I urge the, the listeners to go to Google and start typing in the words corn job, and Google will do the rest for you. No, no, I don't recommend that at all. J- Jason, I just, I just, Jason, I want, you, I want you to flag that for a possible future t-shirt. All right, and then corn job threatens the threatens to shave the kids' heads. <laughs> I, I'd pay fourteen dollars for that. But then, in a in an amazing act of universal serendipity, the aliens on the uh, the remote planet actually do shave the boy's head. And when they return to Earth, corn job is shocked that somebody beat him to the punch. <laughs> so yeah, Gamera versus Giron. I'm, I'm not a hot on too many of the Gamera films, but that one is probably one of the best episodes in the series mitchell of course is wonderful yeah it is i mm. absolutely love the mitchell! 70s i love the song they arrested harlan ellison my 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 my, my, my mitchell. mitchell which was sung incidentally by uh mm-hmm. your friend and mine hoyt axton hoyt axton yes yes well so your that, friend watching that episode is like it's like going home mm. for me but I love the, the 70s era uh, TV show m- mashups and the, the 70s era movies. Yeah. The master. The, well, yeah, I was going to, one of mine is Master Ninja. <laughs> master Ninja, Ninja and Master Lee Ninja Cleef, Yeah. Yes, and ha- both and, good. And half of it was Master Ninja 2, just when they were reading the letters. <laughs> master Ninja theme song. In the same vein, I'm a big fan of 814, Writing with Death, featuring the very mellow Ben Murphy. That is a, an excellent episode involving a, a spy who can vanish and uh, hangs out with truckers. <laughs> Highly recommended. If, you're, if you've been afraid of the sci-fi episodes, that's a good one to go for. Uh, I like 412, Hercules and the Captive Women, oh, ma- yeah. mainly because of the oh, sequence yeah. where Gypsy uh, riffs briefly in the theater with them. <laughs> I feel like Gypsy is, a, is an an underappreciated yes. character, and, uh, and she, she's excited about being part of the being part of the action and an excitement that is absolutely not founded by reality. Well, she's very into the idea, and then uh, and then uh, she, she comes up with some she comes up with some very <laughs> bad riffs. Finally, she comes up with one that's halfway decent, and and the the bots and Joel go, "Yeah, Gypsy, good job, excellent. Hey. That was a good one. Nice job." And then after a few minutes, she she realizes that this this really kind of sucks, and she finds a way to escape the theater. <laughs> Isn't that the one that has, I'm so sleepy I can hardly keep awake? It was one of the Hercules. I think it might be. That's the definition of sleepy. Yes. <laughs> oh, and then, and then lastly, uh, I'll mention 622 Angel's Revenge, which is another, uh, I think that might be late 70s, early 80s. It's a, a jiggly... Uh, 
I don't know how to yeah. describe it really. It's jiggly. It's 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 a jiggly it's, film. It's jiggly. And it has uh it has some some classic actors like uh, I think Jim Backus is in it. Yeah. And uh mm-hmm. and the skipper shows up or maybe the skipper's son. No, no, no. No, no Alan Hale Jr. is the skipper. Alan Hale Jr. shows up in a lot of movies mm. on this show. That's right. That's right. They're definitely on the decline in this film and it shows, but uh it's it's great riffing fodder, so I'm a big fan. But I'm not done yet because I got to talk about shorts. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Can I before? Can, can I? I mentioned only one. Can I pick one more? Yes. Please. No, no. Go for it. I, I was only, surprised you guys only, only have one each. And, I've mentioned none. So this is this is a, this is emblematic. Twelve to the moon, because classic classic black and white stupid mm. sci-fi props that are silly. Where they they, they got a whole they, where to, for their astronaut to they had, they had outfit twelve people as astronauts, and of course they just got like Air Force like flight uniforms. They couldn't afford to like ha- they couldn't figure out how to use the faceplates uh, in the movie without having it reflect all the lights. So they just threw in one line: "I'm activating the invisible air shield right now." <laughs> 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 and, and there's and uh, I, I'm sure that you everyone else has the same sort of reaction that I have to so many of these episodes. There is a joke that I've I can't I can't imagine that a month has gone by in my life where I've not heard this joke has not popped back into my mouth my my, my mind once a month for the rest of my life and not made me laugh. It's where they 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 approach there's some sort of like an uh, entrance to a cave and of course it's it's a bad set so there's sort of like an arched sort of like thing of rocks and there's some dry ice you can't see this just like the back wall of the set and then uh crow says it looks like some sort of portal jim <laughs> as dr mccoy <laughs> and I, I i had to stop the tape at that point because i was just laughing so hard i could not continue with the movie <laughs> it looks like some sort of portal jim before Steve picks his shorts and Jason picks anything, I would just yeah. like to... I'm picking my shorts right now, Phil. That search, <laughs> search is related to corn job will produce... <laughs> corn job will be blamed. And now it's in your search history. <laughs> and coincidentally, corn job is why I'm picking my shorts right now. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention some movies before we get to, we, we get to the shorts. Do it. Uh, Do it. My favorite is probably Time of the Apes, which was mentioned earlier. This is wow. this is a Sandy great Frank, a gr- Sandy Frank gets like, high on movies from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> the Time of the Apes is basically Planet of the Apes, uh, except completely uh, nonsensical. Uh, it, the plot involves people going into the future where apes dominate by freezing themselves in a cryogenic suspension chamber. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then, and then they get to the future, and they find that it is the time of the apes. At the end of the movie, in order to return to the original time, they go back to the freezer and freeze themselves again. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and Johnny is the kid who keeps getting into trouble. And when they say, "Johnny, if you're not careful, you will die," his response is, as I said earlier, "I don't care. I don't care." <laughs> oh, it is be- it is beautiful. So, Time of the Apes is my favorite. I believe that also was a 70s TV series in Japan. Mm-hmm. So It was. Yeah. Both both that and, and Mighty Jack were originally mm-hmm. series. So Master Ninja, I remember watching The Master with Lee Van Cleef when it was a TV show. <laughs> so when those came on as movies, not only did that add to the humor because I knew it was just a TV show, but uh, you know those are delightful, including the, the Waka Chicka Waka Chicka Master Ninja theme song. <laughs> and those are delightful. And then I have two uh, sci-fi picks that I want to throw in there. Earth versus the spider, 
just for the title oh, alone, yeah. frankly. Good and, and the uh, the amazing Colossal Man, which mm-hmm. is a um, Glenn Manning. Not well, that's one. A, of, that's an early episode. That's pre sci fi by a lot. Not yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not one of the. Well, no, I mean it's a it's a sci fi movie, not oh, a sci fi okay. channel right. episode. It's a sci fi movie. The <laughs> all right, find your loophole there. The uh, the amazing Colossal Man and, and the war, and the War of the Colossal Beast, which, the Colossal which has Mister yeah. B Natural in it, which is my favorite short. Speaking wow. of shorts, Steve. <clears throat> yeah, I got a lot of those too. I'll go through them fast. I, I love the home economics story. Yeah. <laughs> Whimsical look at my land crotch. Look at my crotch. Look at my crotch. That one always kills me. It's a, it's a girl's dreams of going to college and learning about home economics. I, my favorite line is the one where they discuss the five-pound party, <laughs> which, which apparently is, is what you would do uh, in the olden days when somebody would propose to you is you would bust out with a five-pound box of chocolates, and that's how you break the news to everybody. You'd hand out these chocolates. <laughs> but it sounds for all the world like the narrator in this film is saying a five-pound potty. And so the natural response to that is Joel saying, five-pound potty? She must have had a big breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and he's laughing as he's saying it, and that always kills me. Anyway, that's a good one. Um, the uh, the one-two punch of posture pals and appreciating our parents that leads off the unearthly, which is otherwise not a particularly good episode, are great. Junior Rodeo, Rodeo Daredevils was already mentioned with old-timer Billy Slater. That's good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Catching Trouble, which follows a man as he <laughs> oh, yeah. basically poaches <laughs> endangered species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch that one. That is a and great one. One of the best. I, I can't. I don't think there was ever another moment in which one of the hosts, Joel, actually turns around in the seat and says, everyone, and on behalf of everybody, we apologize for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he has, a, he, has a, he has a Native American helper who they just call every vile slur that you can, you can think of. And... That's true. They keep calling him a sad sack. <laughs> <laughs> and just abusing animals left and right, just like gra- grabbing baby animals, tearing them from their parents, and throw them in, into a burlap sack, and, just, and outwardly just referring to them as like inventory. I'm, I'm filling an order for a zoo in Columbus. <laughs> and, and Ted Husing, who was a legitimate sports announcer of that era, is doing the voiceover, and he keeps saying weird things like, and what's my boyfriend up to now? That's my boyfriend, Ross. What's he doing now? It's intensely creepy. Yes, his his uh, his uh, his Native American pal who is Emo Phillips in a dress, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. And then lastly, what to do on a date, which is about as awkward oh, and wonderful yeah. as you might expect from that title. I, I tweeted a quote from that just a few hours ago. Hmm. You did. I did. Wow. If we're picking favorite shorts, um, I always enjoy the traffic safety ones, particularly the one um, that involves that involves a train. (laughs) Why don't they stop? Uh, Yeah, why don't they look? Why don't they? Because (laughs) I say that every time um, we we drive by a train and have to stop, and and then my wife will say, "Here's a bucket of your brother." (laughs) My plan is working. You will die. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Mm. I enjoy hired. Oh, yeah. Two-parter. Part one or two-part two? All parts of Hired. I I particularly enjoy when the old man is swatting at insects, and they're like, the the elves are back. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And then he puts a a rag on his head, I think, after that. Yeah, yeah. I I gotta say that I think that the the apex of... I I would even even say that the the best of all Mystery Science Theory 3000 is when you get... uh, is uh, Once Upon a Honeymoon 
and what was the other one? A design for dreaming, where these two industrial ones. The design for dreamings was was the one where you uh, were introduced to Nuvina, but they're both like industrial musical shorts. Oh, yeah. In which, if you were to just watch either one of these on their own, they would be hellaciously entertaining. A because you know they actually hired really good Broadway performers to like sing and dance, so it's actually entertaining in and of itself. And also in and of themselves, they're just so bizarrely focused on how telephones are the are the key to happiness for everything. And it's there's there's nothing about the future that cannot be solved with some sort of really bizarrely auto world sort of thing. But then when you add to, to, to that mix. Mystery Science Theater 3000, where they were just – there are points where they just have to let the craziness unfold and points where, where they have to make fun of the of, of the angel who comes down to help solve the Broadway playwrights' problems by making sure that they can get access to good telephones. And I, I there's, there's, there's lots of great Mystery Science Theater 3000, but I think that's the one where it's like 10 out of 10 on six out of seven categories. Oh, man. There is so much here. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's overwhelming. There is so much. The short, yeah, the shorts. I mean, such density of jokes there, and I, I'm just I'm looking through the list right now on the, the on the Mystery Science Theater Wikipedia, Wikia, and I'm I'm, I'm my, my eyes drawn to the the money talk short where uh, this this high school kid, this black and white short high school kid, uh, looks at the Ben Franklin that's on the fifty cent piece, and Ben in shadow form talks to, tells him about how to save money and how to be practical. And another one of those lines that just left me, I can still remember every detail of the carpet that I fell on when, when Mike says, well, there's a, there's a, there's a bust of, of uh, Ben Franklin on sort of like a spiral, like carved pedestal. And Mike says, oh, look, they've got a Ben Franklin ice auger. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what beautifully stupid joke. That's just like Ben Franklin ice auger. There's probably not I, a week. A week that goes by that I don't quote from um, the host segments. I, I think it was the Viking women, uh, Roger Corman movie that they, every host segment prince. was. was Viking wa- women and the sea serpent. Wa- was wa- uh, waffle themed. And yeah. uh, there's not a week that oh, goes waffles. by that I'm not doing, that waffles. I don't do the, no waffles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one where one of the segments is literally just absolute nothing. And then Joel walks in and he's eating waffles and he goes. Waffles, yep. and then it's movie mm-hmm. side. Yeah, love that. Great episode. I was, I was like the the day at the fair, or no, 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 no. It's Johnny at the fair, where he's at the Canadian exhibition, and and he runs away from his parents, and he meets boxer <laughs> Joe Lewis and Wilson and Johnson and former Canadian Prime Minister Mackenzie King, and and it's narrated by Lauren Green of all people. One thing that's nice about the shorts is I think they've aged a little better than some of the episodes. That's true. I think just because there's there's less, I mean, they're, they're old to begin with. Most of the shorts are much older, but there's a lot less leeway for them to do kind of current event sort of riffs. Right. Because I was actually kind of bummed out watching some of the old episodes about the fact that a lot of these episodes have not really aged super well. Yeah. John Sununu gets a haircut. Like, yeah, oh, I was about exactly. to say, in the MST3K <laughs> movie, they make a John Sununu joke that no one will understand. I think it was Joel that used to say uh, they would they would come up with some sort of really obscure riff in the writing room and and they'd say but Joel five people are going to get this and his response was the right people will get it. Yeah. But and that 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 only goes so far because 20 years down the line those right people have all forgotten what it was that was funny about that riff. <laughs> and the ones that more than the right people dead. would get most people have forgotten about too. Yeah. Okay, but what if, what but what if what if they cut the they arrested the Mitchell. They look, they arrested Harlan Ellison. <laughs> 
Good. Good. <laughs> that that that's a that's a worthwhile joke for the five people that that yeah. recognize that oh he does look kind of like Harlan Ellison and yes your reaction would be okay good they finally arrested him <laughs> when when you're one of those five people it's the funniest thing you've well, ever that, seen that's exactly yeah. but but it's but it's increasingly rare that you're one of those that those five people are even still alive first of all sure, so, okay but let, let, let's let, let's let's get into this though then this is remember you know how like on the Price is Right people get called up to the front and everyone else is so happy for them where it wasn't me who got called up but hey isn't it great to see someone else like us who wants to be up there having a good time that's what a lot of these jokes were like oh i totally didn't get that Ayn Rand joke but i know that one of my fellow fans is now laughing hysterically about it so i'm glad for that other person and that was absolutely true for me too because back in the day when i didn't catch something i'd go okay somebody got that joke it wasn't me but somebody got that joke but uh but that was when I understood 60% of the references. <laughs> I, the, the, I almost always, these days, when I, when I watch something that I used to love, I, I almost always pitch it in, in the context of, can I show this to my kids and will they appreciate it? And I don't think I can show these to my kids because they won't get even a third of the references, even the ones that aren't horribly dated. Um, mm. and, and that's sad because I, I love these shows. And, and in fact, I've shown a, a several of them to, well, not several, but I've shown a few to my daughter. And as I mentioned, she, she thinks it's unbelievably stupid. And yet there was a, <laughs> uh, a, a riff tracks thing on national geographic channel not too long ago where they picked three national geographic channel shows of varying quality, uh, and, and riffed over them. And she watched that and thought it was hysterical, but these, all of these MSTs, Basically, they just go completely over her head at this point, and that, that's a bummer. I still appreciate them, but I don't appreciate them as much as I did before because some of the references that I used to think were great, I've forgotten myself. So Yeah, see, mine, have, mine are totally hooked on them, and, uh, which made me so happy because I was worried about that. I was like, what if, what if this thing that had such a big influence on me, you know, what if they don't like it? And you know, at first, they, they were just sort of it would be on in the background, and they'd be doing stuff. And now they now they pay attention to them. They're doing the jokes, but I, I think it was the the moment when the older one was watching, and he goes, "Hey, how come you can't see Tom, through Tom Servo's head when they're in the movie theater?" And the and the younger one just turns and goes, "You should really just relax." And I just went, <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I always find it disconcerting when Tom Servo leads leads into the. Uh... At movie sign, he leans into the the green screen where the uh, where the tunnel is, and his head sort of disappears. It's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy things are always happening to Servo's yeah. transparent bubble. Has, has, she, has she asked why Tom Servo always has to be carried into the theater and Crow can walk in? That's that that that's sort of that's sort of like the the, the IQ test for figuring things out. I think. I, I think Tom, everybody just accepts the fact that Tom Servo is unable to do anything. In fact, I just in the one in the episode. <laughs> They, had, they, actually, they actually, they actually, they actually, they he, he, he said something in passing on one episode. It's something saying, to do with his hover skirt. He can't. It's like he there's, can't there's, cross there's, the, there's, uh... there's a great, there's a, there's a, there's a vent grating like in front of the theater that his hover skirt can't work with. Yep. So he has to be carried in. Because <laughs> in, in I accuse my parents, which I just watched, he paints himself uh, uh, nude, um, <laughs> and and says, "Now I'm going to be a real boy." And they have to point mm. out. He says, "I want to. I want to run free. You don't have any legs, and I want to pick <laughs> apples from a tree. Your arms Your don't, don't work. work. Yeah. <laughs> what are these arms good for? Eating corn on the cob? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else we should talk about before we wrap this up, other than to recommend that people? So some of this is on Netflix. There's a bunch of stuff that's on DVD, and 
almost everything is on YouTube, it seems. Yeah. Do we want to do the knockdown drag out Joel versus Mike fight? Oh, no. do, gonna, do we need to pit ask. them together? I mean, I think that's the beauty no, of it is that good. is is that they're both they're both good and different in their own ways. I do like you fight over heads and tails, Steve. Do you? It's worth mentioning just because that was that was probably one of the early yes. internet's first great flame wars and destruction of a community by internal forces. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. agree. No, I'll, I'll fight to the death for Frank over Dr. Larry Earhart. Or, sure. Uh, oh, yeah, yes, me too. What, what about? What about original crow versus replacement crow? Oh God, that's not even a battle. <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice man, replacement crow, but no. I got I got used to it. It was the puppeteering over the first three or four episodes that yeah. I was like, oh, crow has had a stroke. Well, okay, well, it'll also, be better. This is it. Is like I I got used to replacement crow, but I think it's very clear that Trace Blue Crow is the best is the best crow. Yeah, no, I, I love Bill Corbett dearly. He has wiped his wet hands on my jacket, but. Yep. Uh, <laughs> You can't you can't replace can't the original. Master. But but the, that's why I think the Joel versus Mike thing is kind of insoluble because I think they're both good and they're both different and it's fine and it, and it's not like like you know original Tom Servo versus replacement Tom Servo who you know it's it's Kevin Murphy as Tom Servo yeah, and, exactly. and, yeah. and and Trace yeah. Ballou as as Crow I mean I think that's that's fundamental but Joel and Mike are Joel and Mike and Mike wasn't right. some dude from the outside Mike totally got the show he had been on working on the show all that time he'd been guesting on the show and was uh, he and he was allowed to be Mike instead of just being a replacement Joel I like Joel better. I'm just going to go out and say I like Joel better. Uh. I like Mike too, though. <laughs> so it's not really, you know, it's there's, I'm I'm not angry about it. But uh, I, I still remember the the Christmas episode that year where uh, Gypsy gives him the gift where she had started knitting a sweater for Joel. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, got away. So it says Joeiki. 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 <laughs> but it, it was a big deal when the when the crossover happened. Uh, you know, alt whatever MST3K kind of exploded and uh, and never was the same yeah. at that point. There were there were those who said that it was uh, not the same show without Joel, and uh, sure. and there were others who were Mike fans, and uh, they got over it. Yeah, they really didn't. I don't think that a community ever really <laughs> adhesed again. That's too bad. <laughs> and here I am trying to stoke the fire once again. And, and uh, shame on you, My favorite part of the uh, Crow replacement though is when they, they changed the intro, and Crow yes. li- his little bit was "I'm, I'm different,", different. <laughs> yeah, which just amused me every time I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no longer a wisecracker. He's different. Before before we end, can I can I talk about one thing that I really that's a lingering effect of Mystery Science Theater three thousand? There there are three like whenever I I'm writing fiction, oftentimes when I'm doing something wrong, three riffs come to mind immediately because they're just such brilliant observations about how to do storytelling. One of them is when it's a one of the it was one of the spy movies where for some reason the the director decided not to collect, not to condense time through editing the the undercover the the person who's supposed to be kidnapping this unconscious person create builds this really complicated pulley mechanism for getting the body out of the room and it's taking forever and then tom says maybe this is a documentary on how to do this and so whenever <laughs> whenever I'm writing a scene, it's like you're, you're you're spending way too much time explaining how something works. This is not a documentary on how to do this. There was a, another one in which uh, something with rope. It, it, it could it could have been like a, a hundred episodes, but uh, I think I think Crow just says I think the director forgot to have things happen. And that's another thing. Like when I, after first draft stage, it's like okay, Andy, in this chapter you forgot to have things happen. Uh, <laughs> and then the third one is actually more like a uh, it's it's the the rock climbing episode 
where there's a riff where it, it's it, in the episode the movie takes like 30 minutes where they're just climbing it's just nothing but climbing scenes and nothing happens except for they're climbing 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 and then one of them say, make, makes the riff they, they, they finally get to the top say hey look we finally made it to the top look, and look, look, look what's here we're at the bottom of a whole other mountain well let's start climbing again and, <laughs> and, and this is it's more of a complaint about like other things like comic books where I feel as though you just spent 11 issues like pointing us towards how how what 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 incredible things are going to happen in issue number 11 and you just have all your characters now at the top of the mountain saying hey look we're just at the foothills of a larger mountain okay let's start climbing again like no give me a revelation give me an answer like show me build up to something and have something happen it's like I, I think that like you could if you watch if you were a fan of Mystery Science Theater three thousand through all of the bad movies that you've seen and all the riffs you've seen you will get at least one third of a really good education on how to tell a story that actually won't kill people to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I think if I could put on my my, my boring comedy nerd hat for for a moment, um, did you take it off at some point? No, I, I never took it off. It's fixed. It's stuck on. <laughs> it doesn't have a propeller or anything on it. No, it's it does just boring. have many. Pro- it has eight propellers. Um, More the funnier. I mean, you have, <laughs> have shows that that are directly either ripoffs or influenced by MST3K. Like there was a show on uh, ESPN Classic a few. Uh, maybe a decade ago called Cheap Seats that featured the Sklar Brothers. Sklar Brothers, yeah. Basically taking the old uh, the old uh, junk sport footage from the ESPN early days before they uh, uh, became the Sports Shout channel and uh, and riffing on that. And in fact, in one episode, they, they got the MST3K guys to to appear in, in like little bits in the show. But uh, your other comedy shows of today, like The Daily Show and The Colbert Report, where they're just riffing on uh, on news segments, uh, I think you can trace a lineage from uh, – from MST3K to to those, yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think born in the same crucible too. Yeah, with short attention span theater shared yes. bed. John <laughs> Stewart, he cut his teeth doing this, and now he's bugging out his eyes when he's watching Fox News footage. One of one of my favorite podcasts, and I know liked by other people on this podcast, is the Flop House, which is speaking of, of uh, Comedy Central and The Daily Show writers from. The Daily Show, but that they don't, you know, they watch the movie and then they talk about it afterward. But it is, it is funny people talking about bad movies, and they they admit that one of their favorite shows growing up was Mystery Science Theater, and it's absolutely an influence. And I get some of that same kind of good feeling from listening to the Flop House that I got from MST3K, where it's it's smart, funny people riffing on terrible movies. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's uh, read some letters. Letters from listeners. Yeah. Yeah, put up the uh, put up the address for the info put, club. Put up on Still Store. Yeah, yeah. The, the the info club, the incomparable info club. You you yeah. sent a postcard and, uh, to uh, I think suburban we have a Minneapolis. That, uh, I think an eight year old drew a picture of you, Jason. Here it is. Yeah, I look kind of like a robot, though. It's very strange. Mm, it's crazy. I really get the hands right. No, well, they're useless, so it's fine. All right. Well, this wraps up another fine edition of the incomparable, and just in time for. Our your own Turkey Day or Turkey Day weekend, whatever marathon. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me to talk about this wonderful show, Andy Anako. Pleasure as always. They learned too late that man is a feeling creature. <laughs> God bless you, <laughs> as, and as such, the greatest in the universe. David Lore, thank you. Time for go to bed. Oh, David, you sniped mine. <laughs> it was obvious. Scott McNulty. 
He tried to kill me with a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> tried to kill me with a forklift. Uh, Philip Michaels. Thank Jason, you. I just want to point out that Lyle Wagner's a total jerk, second only to Tommy Kirk. Fair enough. And Steve Letts. Thank you, Jason. It's been uh, it's been deep hurting. <laughs> deep hurting. Sandstorm. It stinks. Sandstorm. It stinks. Everybody's got to do you the You have so many women, and I have so few. That's my Torgo. <laughs> I thought you were Dale. <laughs> the master would not be pleased by this. Watch for snakes. Was that the haunting Torgo theme? It was. Yes. Nice. Yes. (laughs) Push the button, Frank. Job threatens to shave one of the boys' heads for acting up. <laughs> <laughs>